Uh, I want to welcome you. It's, it's great to be in the house of the Lord with you guys this morning to see the family of God here, to see all the kids who are uh, going to be gathering back in Sun Chasers here next week as well. So hi, kids. I've been thinking a lot this week about communication. Um, I'm a teacher by trade. I'm getting ready to go back to my school year. And I've had many times in my life where uh, communication has gone really well and then times when it hasn't gone so well. And so as I was as brainstorming and thinking through some of these ideas, the first one that came to mind is, is my children. Uh, my boys now, they're 12 and they're nine years old. Um, and don't worry, I'm not sharing anything from right now. This is from when you were quite a bit younger. I was thinking about communication when they were really little. There's some of the first words that they learned were words like mama, right? They, they learned to say dada. And so they could communicate little bits of things. And as they got a little bit older, they were able to communicate uh, larger ideas. Like I remember times when my boys would look at it and go, I know, eat that. And it was really clear what it was they were communicating there. And as they got more words and more words, uh, they were able to share more complex ideas. But even in their young ages, there were times when uh, they would come up to me really excited to share something. And I would look them in the eyes and all of a sudden words would just start to spill out of their mouth. Right? And all of a sudden, I would realize very quickly, I, I've got no idea what they're saying. If you've got parents and you've got young children, you've probably experienced this before. I look at my wife in this confused way, and she looked back at me in the exact same confused look because she didn't have any clue what they'd said either. And so that's one area in my life where I can think back to where communication was something that had broken down. I, I wasn't able to understand what my kids were saying. Uh, that was when I could put on them their lack of language development and their inability to kind of understand how to form words in, in a way that was slow enough for uh, others to be able to understand. Uh, and I thought of one more recent second example that I, I can't put anyone else the, to blame for. This is blamed solely on uh, me uh, as a husband. Now, uh, for those of you who don't know, my wife and my, Rebecca and I have been married for 16 years. We actually just celebrated our 16th wedding anniversary on Friday uh, this past week. And so, yeah. Praise the Lord for uh, provision our marriage. I was talking to some friends earlier about the fact that 16 years has flown by. Um, and in those 16 years, um, those of you who are husband out there, I've had moments too where like I'm, I'm tuned in, right? Like I understand everything my wife is saying, like the words that are coming out of her mouth, but even like the meaning behind the words that are coming out of her mouth. Like I praise the Lord for those moments of being a husband who, who understood his wife. But, but there's also been times, and this is the example, there, there's been times where I've been uh, listening to my wife, and, and all of a sudden I realize, oh, oh no, right? Um, somewhere along the line, I zoned out in this conversation, and I'm trying not to let that display on my face at all, like let her know like this, I'm still paying attention. I'm trying to grasp the word that she's saying right then and there to try and understand and pick up on the conversation, but as it's happening, I'm realizing like this is not going well, and at some point in time, which has happened many times throughout our marriage, I'm going to have to confess for honey, I, I lost the conversation somewhere. I, I zoned out. I'm going to have to ask for her forgiveness. And as I've seen experience over the past 16 years of marriage, we get to see God's grace at work in our marriage too. Uh, to forgive me, share with me whatever it was I missed in that conversation. All right, so there's conversations like that first ones with my children that I kind of put that on them for their um, inability to communicate. There's that one that's, that's fully on me. And then there's this third category I was thinking about, about um, inability to understand what was going on. This one has typically happened for me as a teacher or as a coach. Uh, there's been instances where I've been coaching cross-country races or in my classroom where I'm laser-focused on how I think something is going to happen. I've got these blinders on where I've already kind of mapped out in my head how things are going to go. And so I've got this idea and this plan already in my mind. And so when someone comes up to share something with maybe it's a runner that's come up or a student who's, who's bringing something to my attention, it's almost jarring because 
even though I hear the words from them, like the message is misconstrued, I, I can't quite receive it. I've heard the words, but not ready yet to receive the message. And so it doesn't fit with the narrative that I have planned. And so this morning, as we enter into our scripture, and if you guys, I would encourage you, and this is something I tell the kids when we're back in Sun Chasers all the time as well. One of my favorite things to do with them is to open God's word. And so I encourage you to open God's word with us this morning, whether it's a physical Bible you have with you, or whether it is uh, on a device that you have. We're going to be reading from the CSB translation this morning. And so as we begin our study in Luke this morning, we're going to be confronted with Jesus interacting with his disciples, and then later on with Jesus interacting with a blind man, as we stated in our call to worship this morning. Now Jesus is going to be confronting his disciples, sharing with them about his coming death and resurrection. And if you've been with us for a while, we've been studying the book of Luke for some time. We started our journey to Jerusalem back in Luke chapter 9, and so this isn't actually the first time that Jesus has shared information like this with his disciples. What we're going to see has been the case in those examples and the ones right now is they don't have a clear picture understanding. They, they've got this idea of what may happen. There may be some spiritual blindness that they weren't able to understand this, but there may just been this fact that they had a certain plan for what they thought Messiah was going to come to accomplish. And Jesus has continued to share with them and teaching them who he is and what he's come to accomplish. So this morning as we read from Luke 2, we're going to be confronted with who do we say that Jesus is? And so as we read about his prophesying about his death, and his resurrection, one of the questions we're going to wrestle with is, who do you say that Jesus is? Who is he to you as a way of life? And the second one is one that as we've read through this chapter 18 in Luke is something we wrestle with for is, how does that cause us to approach Jesus? What is our approach? There's a, if you were here a couple weeks ago with Chris Genders, he was right out front and center, and the word approach was front and center in his message. And so we're going to bring that back again today. What does that look like to approach Jesus based on who we say that he is? So again, if you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to turn to chapter 18. We're going to be beginning in verse 31, and we're going to read verses 31 through 34 to get us started this morning, where Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And I'll read those for you as well, again from the CSB translation. Starting in verse 31, it says, Then he, speaking of Jesus, took the twelve aside, and he told them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked, insulted, spit on, and after they flog him, they will kill him. And he will rise on the third day. And it says, they understood none of these things. The meaning of the sayings was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. So we're going to spend a little bit of time here again, this idea that the disciples couldn't fully grasp what was going to happen. As I said before, this isn't actually the first time that Jesus has shared this kind of information with them. It's not the first time that they've had misunderstandings about it. As we've gone through our journey to Jerusalem and we end ending up here in chapter 18 in the beginnings of 19, we can travel all the way back to Luke chapter 9 where we see Jesus sharing the same information with his disciples. I want to read those to you. In Luke chapter 9, verses 21 and 22, it's one of the first early recordings of him sharing with his disciples about what's to come. So Jesus says, he strictly warned and instructed them to tell this to no one. And he told his disciples, it's necessary that the Son of Man, again referring to himself, suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and raised on the third day. And then later on again in chapter 9, 
he says something similar to them. Verses 44 and 45 say, let these words sink in. I, I like that phrasing in the CSB. The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. But then it quickly says after that, they didn't understand this statement. It was concealed from them so they could not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. So we see from the very beginning on the bookends of our journey to Jerusalem and on the very end that Jesus is sharing with his disciples who he is and what purpose he's come to fulfill. And I love that reminder as we get started this morning that on both ends of this we see that Jesus has intentionality and purpose for what he's planning to do. Throughout his journey to Jerusalem, throughout his time on earth, he's in the midst of him gathering up his disciples, in the midst of teaching them who he is, in the midst of teaching them what's to come, in the midst of healings that have taken place. Jesus is sharing with them what his intention is, that throughout all of his time teaching that they might come to understand after his death and resurrection fully who he is, that empowered by the Spirit, they'll go on to live lives empowered to proclaim Jesus for who he is. The same way we sung this morning of who Jesus is, in the study of his word, we get a better and fuller picture of who Jesus is to us here today. We see from John chapter 3, a verse that's famous to all the kids here, one that you guys, if you've been in um, around church, you've, you've probably heard of that in John 3, 16, that Jesus came to die for the sins of mankind, that whoever so believes in him would have eternal life and not perish. And so we hear those words and those, those common words, but I want to spend some time here in this particular portion of scripture, digging into this. In those words where he says, let these words sink in, I want us to be reminded this morning of who our Messiah is, who we sang about for this morning, who we are loyal to, as the king that we serve as a way of life. Not only gathered here this morning, but in roughly an hour, hour and a half, we'll all be gone from this building. I will be out into the world, not gathered here hearing from God's word, not singing together as a corporate body, but out in our homes. We'll be heading out to work. I know students, you probably aren't excited about hearing this, but you guys are gonna, a lot of you going back to school here pretty soon. Um, I'm gonna be heading back there myself. And we're gonna be charged with the task of proclaiming the gospel to the people around us as our way of life. And so I want to say the uh, words again, to let the words sink in. And so I want to take a moment at the very beginning of that passage in verse 31. Jesus tells his disciples, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that's written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. As I've read through the Gospels this summer, it's interesting to contemplate and think again of what the disciples must have been thinking, and what people that time would have expected for the Messiah. So often they, they would have thought someone coming in earthly power, someone to overthrow the Romans, someone to uh, set free the Israelites from the oppression that they experienced. Yet this isn't what Jesus describes here. Right? It's, it's a message we've heard that's very common to us today if we walk into church buildings of uh, who Jesus is, but I don't want us to lose sight of what Jesus knows he's come to accomplish. The power and might of Jesus flies completely in the face of what looks like earthly power and what looks like earthly might. The earth says, and the worldly ways say, I will come in might and power that, that signifies power in uh, money and prestige and the things of this earth. Jesus says that he's come to give his life as a ransom for many. It's a power and might that stands in utter contrast to the ways of the world. And so Jesus goes on, and I think this is interesting to describe what's going to happen to him, sharing with these disciples who don't fully understand this yet, that when his death and resurrection happens, that he is who he says he is. Jesus goes on with clarity in verses 32 and 33 to say many things, including for he will be handed over to the Gentiles, which will come to pass, that he'll be mocked and insulted and spit on, which all will come to pass, 
that they'll flog him and that he'll be killed, which will come to pass. But he, the end here, he says that he will rise on the third day, which will also come to pass. The disciples, in hearing this, doesn't fit the narrative. They, they hear the words, likely, but they can't understand the message of what's going on here. It goes against everything the world would have told them and tells us today about power and might. Yet we see Jesus declaring these things to his disciples. We see a Savior who's come to do the will of his Father. And there's an intentionality that Jesus has in his mission and time here on earth. We see a Jesus who willingly goes to the cross. This is no happy accident or holy accident. This is the plan all along for salvation. We see a Jesus who is our good shepherd when he declares in chapter 10 of John's gospel. There's a part here that I want to read to you about how Jesus knows what he's come to accomplish. He's seeking out the lost sheep. He's come for the salvation of mankind. So Jesus says in chapter 10 of John, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep. But I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. And then he says, this is why the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. Jesus says, I have the right to lay it down and I have the right to take it up again. I received this command from my father. So you see in those words of power and might that the disciples just couldn't even fully grasp or contain in their minds at that point in time. They can't see how this fits into what they think is their plan for salvation. Luke says it in even three different ways for the disciples. He says they didn't grasp what was being said, they didn't understand, and that the meaning was hidden from them. And so as we read these words, we have the beauty of being able to read all of Scripture and be able to see what Jesus proclaimed here to his disciples has come to pass. And so there's a couple of things I'm going to encourage you guys as a family of believers to do today. And the first one of those is to go on and read in Luke. I know, I know among you here, there's some of you who are avid readers. I won't make you um, raise your hand or tell who it is, but there are some of you who are, will happily read uh, as much as you possibly can. And there's others of you who are like, I only read when I was absolutely instructed to by a teacher um, back in the day. But I want to encourage you to do one thing, is to read on in Luke this afternoon. We're going to get the opportunity in the next couple weeks to study the beginnings of chapter 19 and a couple of interactions with Jesus, uh, one of those being with Zacchaeus. But I want you to see who Jesus is, that as we read his words this morning of what he's declaring to be and who he is as the savior of mankind will come to pass. You'll get to read in chapters 20 and 21 of Jesus's betrayal, his death on the cross, in chapters 22, 23, and 24 of his resurrection. And then to give you a little taste of what comes towards the end, that Jesus will come back and share with his disciples who he is. He won't leave them in the state of misunderstanding or, or un unable to understand, but rather he'll share with them directly who he is. In the very end of Luke in chapter 24, right towards the end when he's with his disciples, Jesus says these words to him. Jesus says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. Or you're likely referencing back to the passage of scripture reading this morning. That everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he also said to them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. 
See, brothers and sisters, this is the God that we serve this morning as we read about him in Scripture. This is the Messiah that we praise, that we sing about this morning, that he is Lord of all, the words that we proclaim this morning in singing. Right? This is the Christ that paid the penalty for our sins on the cross and that through him we might have life. This is the Jesus that is the way, the truth, and the life and the only way to the Father. And so as we're reading these words this morning, we hear these. I want us to capture a picture of who Jesus is. But I also want us, and, and be honest, remember that when we leave here this morning, we're going to go back out into the world. We're going to go back to our day-to-day -day lives. We're going to wash dishes and clean up after kids. We're going to go to a job somewhere. We're going to interact with family members that there might be strife or difficulty with. We're going to uh, be part of a world that's still plagued by sin. And so often it's easy then to put on blinders and not see well who Jesus is. And so in the picture of who Jesus is, I want us also to, to come back to Luke chapter 18 and read about a man who also was blind. And we're going to see he is physically blind, incapable of seeing the world around him, yet we get a picture of him seeing Jesus for who he is. And so I want you guys to return with me. If you guys will go back to Luke chapter 18, I want us to pick up in verse 35. As stated earlier, we're going to read through the end of chapter 18 from Luke, and we're going to see Jesus interact with a man. And we're going to see and talk about who he sees Jesus as and how he approaches Jesus as well. So in verse 35... It continues on, as he, meaning Jesus, approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. Hearing a crowd passing by, he inquired what was happening. Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, they told him. So he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then those in front of him told him to keep quiet. But he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. When he came closer, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. Receive your sight, Jesus told him. Your faith has saved you. Instantly he could see, and he began to follow him, glorifying him. All the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. So as you read through this, I want to remind that Jesus has just talked to his disciples. He's on his way to Jerusalem as he's reaching the final stretch of his journey, he passes by Jericho. A crowd's joined Jesus, which isn't uncommon at this time in his ministry. And so uh, in a minute, I'm going to ask you guys to close your eyes and kind of picture this with me. But crowds have gathered. A lot of them are probably coming for the Passover feast along the same road that Jesus is traveling. Some of them may have heard that Jesus is coming nearby and may have come out from the neighboring areas just to see who he was. And then we see this man this morning. This man who's a, a blind beggar who probably found his way out from wherever he stays to the same place in the road, trying to find his way to this place without the ability to see, finding his spot on the road, hoping for generosity from those around him. Probably not unlikely that he recognized Passover was coming. He might think that more people were coming his way and that there was uh, maybe more generosity would happen at that time, but completely unaware of what's going to transpire that day. And so as we catch up with our friend here this morning... I can only imagine what it would have been like for him. And so I want us to think of this morning about what it would have been like for this man sitting on the side of the road and then how he approaches Jesus and the way that Jesus responds to him. 
And so if you guys would, would do this with me, I, I was thinking about having someone get up and try and walk around blindfolded. I thought this might be a bad idea. I didn't want any of you to injure themselves. But if in your seats, if you guys would just close your eyes for me for a minute. If you've got young kids, because we can hear them, if you need to keep one eye open on the kids, that's fine too. But even kids, if you want to close your eyes for me for a moment, and just think for a moment, and again, we're not going to move or get up anywhere, but just listen to some of the sounds you hear. Right, you can hear voices of, of little people. Right? And so this blind man might have heard voices coming his way. He might have heard some footsteps coming his way, shuffling of feet. And all of a sudden, there's more footsteps. There's a bigger crowd coming. And he's just wondering, what is, what's going on here? He doesn't have a full understanding. He still is, is blind. If you guys want to open your eyes for me now. So he reaches out of the crowd and he says, well, what's going on? And the people around him, I would imagine in the crowd that showed up, there would have been some of them that would have skirted by him. Because this man isn't highly regarded in society. If you read back in John chapter 9, Jesus actually heals another blind man. We see the disciples ask Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus tells them that it was neither of those, that this happened so that God might be glorified. But it was common that day to look at someone in that standing and go, well, it's because of their own sin. And they would have passed by him. Some people may have even ignored him, but at least some in the crowd told him, it's Jesus of Nazareth. Right? Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And I find that name interesting. As I was reading through, Jesus of Nazareth is actually a really common way to address someone. Right? We might even do that here in this day and age. You might be, oh, who's that? You know all that? that? That's Ben from Roanoke. That might be one way you name somebody. Who's that? Or her? Oh, that, that's Lauren from Washington. Right? There's, there's ways we name people. It's just it's his name. And it's, it's where they're from. Right? We use that name, and I've used that name many times in my life too, Jesus of Nazareth, but it's, it's a pretty common greeting for them. And so it should stand in stark contrast to us the way that this man approaches Jesus. He knows his station life. He recognizes his honored ability to change his circumstances. Yet he knows that Jesus is passing by him, and he sees him um, not with his physical eyes, but with his spiritual eyes. And so he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And that title is different. He doesn't just say, oh, oh hey, Jesus. And he doesn't even echo the crowds that are saying, Jesus of Nazareth. He calls out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You can trace that back to, as Jesus said, the prophecies from the Old Testament and the Psalms are fulfilled in him. One specific one, if you go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, you'll read about God's promise to David and how his family line, the king will come, that will be enthroned forever namely Jesus Christ, our Messiah. And so when he cries out, Jesus, son of David, he's declaring to the world around him out loud, not caring what anyone's going to say to him, that this is his Messiah. This is the one who's coming to save him. He cries out, Jesus, son of David. And what's the crowd do, right? They, they part on either side of him, and, and they gather him up and take him to Jesus because he's declared him as the Messiah. That's not what happens, right? They shut him down. They tell him to be quiet. It's really stern language. I was going to say the words shut up, and my wife told me not to because the kids are here, but he basically tells them to shut up. And so in that moment there, the world's pressing it around him. He has no eyes to see in a physical sense, but yet he has spiritual eyes to see that this is his Messiah. This is where his Savior is. And so in the midst of all that, in the midst of the uh, rebuke of the crowd, he cries out even louder. He says, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus hears him. And this is the part that I love here. It says that, that Jesus stopped. He didn't continue on. Jesus stopped. He heard the cry 
of a heart of someone who knew that this was his Messiah. This is the one that had come to save him. This was his Savior. And he stops and he turns, he commands that this man be brought to him. And then he asks this question. He doesn't just perform the miracle of giving his sight back. He asks this man, what do you want me to do for you? In the same way Jesus is asking, who am I to you this morning? And this man just simply says, Jesus, I want to see. He could ask for anything along the way, but he, he asked something audacious. He said, Jesus, I want to see. Right? This isn't unlike you and I, brothers and sisters. We have nothing to offer for our salvation. In the same way that he is asking for his sight, we've received forgiveness at the cross. And Jesus tells this man that your faith has saved you. And then the words that follow this is what this man does is he follows and he glorifies God. I very encourage you and want you to read through and to see who Jesus is as we wrestle with those two questions of who is Jesus to us and how does that cause us to approach him as well. As you read through the Gospels of Luke and finish up Luke this afternoon, you're going to see who Jesus is, that he is who he's claimed to be, that he's the Messiah, he's our Lord, he's the king of our kingdom here um, that we've enthroned him in the crown that we've sung this morning, and that we're called to follow and glorify him as well. And in addition then to reading through some of Luke and wrestling with who Jesus is, there's one other thing I want to encourage you guys to do today. Uh, one of the acronyms that I learned years ago for prayer is ACTS. And I want to take a moment to think about that with you and confess something to you guys as well. ACTS stands for Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. And as I'm reflecting on who Jesus is to me, is, is knowing that I'm going to get the opportunity to share this with you guys, I realize in my prayer life how often I quickly move to thanksgiving and supplication and how little time I often actually spend on adoration and confession. As the body of believers here this morning, we're going to get an opportunity here just really shortly to take communion together, to remember Jesus' blood shed for us on the cross and Jesus' body broken for us on the cross. And so I want us to focus on those two areas, considering and thinking about what it would mean for us men and women of this church, this family, this body of Christ, to openly acknowledge and adore our Lord out loud in words to one another here, even as we leave this service, as we move out into the world today, taking pieces of the gospel with us as we are followers in Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, all through our week. We're going to get ready to have our children gather back in Sun Chasers this next week. What would it look like for our children to not only give thanks to God, and supplication and asking him for things uh, in those prayers that we pray at dinner time and at bedtime, but for them to hear their parents and the adults in their lives pray in adoration to God, recognizing Jesus as our Messiah, and also confession to him, like our blind friend who has given his sight, who cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. What is if you wake up tomorrow morning, the two things you said before you even set foot on the ground were, God, thank you for getting, up, getting me up this morning. And Lord, have mercy on me and start our day that way. And so as we prepare for communion here in the next few moments, I want that to be on our hearts this morning about what does it look like to not only live in admiration and um, adoration of our Lord, but also confession, which will draw us to thanksgiving and what he's done for us and then to present our supplications too. So uh, I hope those things are on our heart this morning as we prepare for communion as Dave comes to um, ready us for time of, uh, of communion. So as the volunteers uh, gather up the elements, I want to read again uh, the passage that we just looked at 
everything that is written from the Old Testament through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished for he will be handed over to the Gentiles. He will be mocked, insulted, spit on, and after they flog him, they will kill him and, it's an important and, and he will rise on the third day. And so when believers remember, when they take communion, they are remembering that those truths, those eternal, life-changing, eternity-changing truths. And so if you're a believer in Christ today, you are welcome and invited to take communion, and then we will take the elements together. After we've had some time of prayer, I encourage you to open the wafer and the cup and those kind of things during that prayer time, and then we'll take those together as a unified family of faith. Peter writes this in 1 Peter chapter 2. For you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink the juice. Lord, uh, we are grateful that you are the son of David, that you are the king of kings. You are the one sent Messiah, the rescuer, the redeemer of our souls, of our lives. You are the promised one. You are living hope. Thank you for the reminder through the word of God of who you are and that you are active and present and reigning and ruling, that you rose from the dead on the third day. You ascended to heaven. One day you are returning. I pray that we would have this attitude of dying to sin and living for righteousness because you are the one who died for us and rose again. Be glorified through our way of life. Be glorified as we seek you and grow in our understanding of who you are through your living and active word. We pray this in your name. Amen.